So this afternoon we're going to study Luke chapter 5 and it's verses 12 to 26. Luke chapter 5 verses 12 to 26. Before we read that we'll pray. So please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we now study your word, I pray, Father, that you would help me as I speak, that you would help us all as we listen. Father, may we be given ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that are willing and obedient. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter chapter 5, starting at verse, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralysed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralysed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, and picked up what he had been laying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Amen. May God bless that word to us. Don't panic. I do have my notes with me. So, in what's before us today, Luke continues the narrative of the victorious ministry of Jesus. And we are to understand that all of this is still flowing from where Luke started his gospel. Jesus is the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has gone to war, as it were, with the devil, and he has returned from that warfare victorious. He has returned in the power of the Holy Spirit, ministering as God's appointed saviour. He has done things that people have never seen before. He has cast out demons by the power of his word. He has healed people. He has healed the fever of Simon's mother-in-law. He has called disciples. He has, he has basically ruled over a miraculous catch of fish. And now he continues to do things that simply were not done. And we, we just, in, in our day of modern medicine, we, we just don't realise how miraculous these things are. 
we, we kind of have this attitude. As long as I'm alive, as long as I'm breathing, somehow or other, modern medicine can solve the problem. That's kind of the way we live. And it was just completely different in this time. If you had an illness, if, if you had a problem, it was most unlikely that there was anything anyone could do for you. You know, things like fevers that we laugh at and say, take a Panadol and a rest and you'll be just fine, were, were treated with utmost seriousness because they were often the beginning of a sickness that led to death. And here we have a man with the most threatening disease of all, as far as the Jew was concerned, leprosy. And though the law made allowance for recovery from leprosy, the truth is, in nobody's experience, had anyone ever recovered from leprosy. And this man didn't just have a couple of spots. Verse 12, there came a man full of leprosy. He was covered. He was, he was um, in, a, in the advanced stages of this disease. And the first thing we've got to consider is simply that he should not have come to Jesus at all. In Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, we're told that a leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. The man should not have approached Jesus. But he came. He came. Something drew him. There was the promise of healing. He was a man who was in the very least a prophet and he had power. You know, the last healing in scripture, you know, especially of leprosy, I should say the last healing of leprosy, do we remember? It was Elisha the prophet. Naaman the Syrian came to Elisha the prophet and was told to dip seven times in the river Jordan and you will come out with skin as fresh and as clean as the skin of a baby. And that's the only healing of leprosy that we found in all of Scripture until we got into the Gospels. It just didn't happen. The other thing concerning leprosy is that in the law, if perchance, if in the providence of God, a leper did come to some recovery, the leper had to make many offerings and go through many cleansing ceremonies which actually had their equivalency in the law with regards to sin. But it was to, to recover, to, to come to a recovery from leprosy and to come back into the congregation of worshippers required a cleansing that was, whilst not exactly the same, somewhat like the cleansing that the law required of people when they confessed their sins and sought reconciliation with God. And so it was really very easy for people to conclude that leprosy is a disease of sinners. Now, you know, to, to try and give sort of a modern day um, example, you know, I travel a lot in my work and I go to many different places. And 
you know my attitude towards the disease that has been called COVID. It's very much a flu. It's, it's, it, you look at the statistics, it's not altogether different to any flu season that's happened in the last 20 years. But there are people, and often it's in a way the more isolated they are and the more they draw their information from approved media sources, there are people who honestly seem to think that COVID was a disease of certain areas and certain people who did not obey instructions. And they believe that if they obey instructions, they won't get it. And it's not exactly the same, but it's a a similar idea. The, The conclusion was that leprosy was such a terrible disease that in the scripture, it was God who had sovereign power over leprosy. We read Numbers 12 where Miriam was made leprous. And we could have also turned to Exodus chapter 3 where Moses was made leprous by God. It was one of the signs by which God convinced Moses that he had the power to use Moses to deliver the people of God. Moses, remember, placed his hand inside his robe. He pulled it out and it was leprous. He placed his hand back inside the robe, pulled it out again, and it was as though the skin were renewed. The conclusion, therefore, is leprosy is under the sovereign power of God. Leprosy appears to be a punishment of God for sin. If a person perchance by some means ceased to be leprous, they had to go through a cleansing ceremony that was very much like the um, ceremonial cleansing for, for washing away sin. Therefore, this person with leprosy, not only does Scripture say they, un- they are unclean, but they are morally, spiritually unclean. This man came to Jesus believing that Jesus had the power to heal. Lord, if you will. Lord, if it is your desire. Lord, if you want to do this, I know that you can do this. Lord, if you will, you can make me, and look at the word he used, clean. Not you can heal me of my sin. You can cleanse me. He considered himself to be unclean. And it's actually not wrong to consider from our Old Testament scriptures that the picture of leprosy is a picture of sin. That it is something that tells us about how God himself hates the presence of sin. How God himself detests the presence of wickedness. And this man has come to Jesus calling for cleansing. Now, is he calling for the cleansing of his skin? We would say the healing of his disease. Yes, truly he is. But there's more going on. There's more happening here. He acknowledges that he is unclean. That is a word that describes sinfulness. And just so far as Jesus, I'm sorry, just as Simon Peter in the passage we looked at last week spoke of Jesus saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Just as Peter realized that he really was in the presence of holiness and he really had no right, as it were, to have God in the boat with him. And so this leprous man, he wants to be healed of leprosy. 
but he's using a word that describes sinfulness and wickedness. There is cleansing from sin in Jesus. There is the cleansing of the stain of sin. Jesus does more than just deal with appearances. He deals with us as we are in the condition that we are in. Jesus, now this is, once again, we don't understand just how um, how deep, how touching, how, I'll use the word emotional, this moment must be. The leper should not have approached anyone. The leper should not have spoken to anyone. The leper should have been crying out, unclean, unclean. He does ask for being cleaned. Jesus doesn't heal him from a distance. Think about the way Jesus heals in the scripture. If Jesus wanted to say, be cleansed, he would be cleansed. Jesus could have taken a step. What's the current distancing thing? 1.5 metres. He could have stepped 1.5 metres back and said, be cleansed. And Nobody in that day and age would have thought he was doing anything strange because you didn't let a leper anywhere near you. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. How long since someone had stretched out their hand and touched this poor man? How long since he'd had the comfort of human fellowship? You know... I love cuddles, hugs, being close to people. I love fellowship that involves shaking hands. You know, I I, I love standing shoulder to shoulder with my friends. You know, if this, honestly, if this were to happen to me and I were to be cast out, just about more than anything, I would miss the physical contact with the people that I love. I would miss it. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. A healing touch, a loving touch, a reassuring touch, a restoring touch. My friends, to be touched by Jesus. It's a life-changing thing. It's a life-changing thing. And notice, and immediately the leprosy left him. Okay, Luke wants us to understand. This this wasn't a maybe healing, a possibly healing. You know, I've heard of the healings. You know, the, the short leg becomes the long leg healing. Please. The, you know, people saying they're healed, I don't have a problem anymore. And then you see them two weeks later and they're just as they always were. Nothing's changed indeed. The leprosy immediately left him. No ceremony, no nonsense. Jesus does it by the power of the Spirit of God. And then he charged him, tell no one, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Let them know, in other words, let them know that the power of God is present in the nation. Let them know that 
Such is the power that God has given to this one who has been sent to deliver the nation, that he can drive leprosy from our midst. Go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. Go and fulfill the requirements of the law. For what purpose? As Moses commanded, for a proof to them. Okay, let's assume that he did as he was told to do, and he went to the priests and he did the things that were required of him. You realise now the priests are put in a certain situation. Jesus said it was for a proof to them. What is the situation that they have been put in? Acknowledge, acknowledge that the Saviour is present and that he has power to heal. Or harden your hearts and blind yourselves to the truth. That's the situation that he put them in. It's those same priests who organised for Jesus to be killed by the Romans. Go to the priests. Testify to the priests. You are a proof to them that I am who I say you are. Sorry, that I am who I say I am. That's what I meant to say there. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and the great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, that he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He was not conducting a song and dance healing ministry. I remember, you know, I just think of one of the craziest things I've ever seen. It was shown to me on a video. We used to live across the street from a Pentecostal family and um, this travelling religious show came to Australia from America and there were supposedly miracles happening. Every time these people ministered, there was supposedly a miracle. And the miracle supposedly was that God gave them gold and the gold supposedly fell from the woman's head out of her hair. And they showed me a video and I was supposed to watch this video and be incredibly impressed by this ministry. And um, basically you've got three people involved in the swindle. You've got one guy who's off camera and he's the voiceover guy. You've got one guy behind the pulpit and he's the preacher. And he preached at 100 miles an hour. He sounded like a um, an auctioneer at a cattle sale. So the the, the word it was just blah, 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 blessing, blah, 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 blessing, blah, 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 Lord, blah, 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 right on and on and on and on, and then you hear this noise like a bell ringing, ding, 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 like Tinker Bell off the old Disney movie, and suddenly this woman stands up and screams. She's got this big buffet hairdo. Ah, it's happened again! Ah, the Lord's blessed us. And then the voice, the guy stops preaching, and the voiceover guy steps in. Oh, the Lord has blessed us. What have we got tonight? And she holds out a bowl and shakes her head and stuff falls out of her hair into the bowl and it's it's silver and gold. God has blessed his people with silver and gold. No, 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 just all this nonsense, right? The most stupid Pentecostal driveling nonsense that I've ever seen. And they expected me to just be impressed by this stuff. I said, can I just ask you a question? If God gives these people silver and gold every time this guy preaches, did they take up an offering? I said, yeah, they took up an offering. Well, why did they need your money if God's giving them gold every night? I want to know. Jesus wasn't running that kind of travelling religious show. It wasn't actually his plan. 
to be this to, to be the center of a circus. All right, the, the healings were not what he came to do. He came to preach and teach. He came to preach the word of the kingdom of God. And he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He would get away from the noise. He would get away from the people. He would get away from the crowds. He would return to desolate places. Where did he initially have this victory over Satan that we're, that we're now watching him minister in the power of victory? In a desolate place. In a way, at differing levels, Jesus was confronted with temptations throughout his ministry. One of those temptations was to be the popular guy. You know, to be the rabble rouser, to get hundreds of thousands of people together and mount a rebellion. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And I'm going to suggest that what he was doing in a way when he withdrew to a desolate place was once again confirming the victory that he was now ministering in. He was confirming his power over Satan in prayer. He was confirming his own commitment to fulfilling the mission that God gave him. I think all throughout his ministry, it becomes a very important point in the Garden of Gethsemane, but I think all throughout his ministry, Jesus remembered to pray to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. My friends, you know, when we read it, we should always feel that maybe we should be praying more. <laughs> you know, it's, it's always a good thing to be convicted of. Perhaps I ought to be praying more, worrying less. Perhaps I ought to be praying more. You know, um, setting aside time. We sang earlier, take time to be holy. Perhaps I ought to be praying more. If, and it, it is worth saying. If to exercise his ministry in obedience to the will of God, Jesus felt the need to withdraw to desolate places and pray, it's, you know, it's not hard to see what my next thought is going to be. If we wish to fulfill the commandment of God in our lives, we need to be setting apart time for prayer. And I'm as guilty as anyone here, and I claim no perfection in this thing. But we need to be a people of prayer committed to praying. We read on. On one of those days, so continuing, one of those days where he was ministering, where people were coming to him to be healed, one of those days after he had withdrawn to a desolate place to pray, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So now some people who were religiously important had turned up. And they were not actually committed to him and they were not willing to um, accept that he is the saviour. They were there to test him. I mean, it, it just must seem crazy, but they were there basically saying, this guy is making great claims. Ought we to believe him? Ought we to accept what it is that he's saying? We're hearing that he's doing all kinds of wonderful and amazing things. Ought we accept this ministry? And the power of the Lord was with him to heal, verse 18. 
And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralysed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Now, we read earlier in John chapter 9, it was a very common thought, a person with a permanent chronic infirmity for whom there was no healing. There was this tendency to directly associate the illness with sin. Now, we've got to be careful. In Scripture, there are a couple of places where illness is associated with sin. The Apostle Paul, for example, giving his warnings concerning the communion meal, speaks of, and that is why some of you are sick and some have even fallen asleep. They were not doing things in accordance with the commandments they had received. But I don't know if, I, I don't think there's anyone in the world today who has some kind of prophetic insight who can tell me or you, any of us, who it is that is sick because they've committed some sin and who it is that is sick for some other reason. For example, in the providence of God, they just happen to be near an infected person or some such thing, and it's got nothing to do with sin or wickedness. I don't claim such insight. But here we have this man paralysed. He was laying on a, on a bed or a stretcher, and I, I, would, I would guess that his way of living was begging. He probably had a family that cared for him. And in the daylight, he was laid in streets, in places by the wayside where he could beg, seek charity. Some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralysed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. So... (laughs) You know, I mean, these guys are just 100% serious. They're desperate. They're going to get their friend into the presence of Jesus. They don't care what it takes. They don't care what people think of them. They don't care if people think they're mad. There's a saviour. He can heal. Perhaps he can heal our friend. Let's get him there. You know, and I I have this picture of this very serious and solemn setting. And... uh, Basically, there's noise and commotion up above and a crack of light comes through and the dust falling down through the light. And, and then what follows is a dude on a, stri- on a stretcher. I wonder if some of the important people in the crowd had to step back. You know, if they stayed where they were, he was going to hit, he was going to land on their head or something. They stepped back. They led him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, He said, man, your sins are forgiven you. The man came for healing. Jesus gave salvation. Man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, once again, you're this man. You're paralysed. No one's got any treatment for you. No one's got any way to help you. It's not as though, you know, there was a national disability insurance scheme running at the time. Man, your sins are forgiven you. We're told in this passage that Jesus was able to perceive thoughts, that he understood what people were thinking. Can we safely conclude that this man was himself wondering whether or not his paralysis was the result of some kind of sin or wickedness? If, like the leper before, he felt that he was in some way unclean and under the judgment of God. Man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, 
If you want to say to me, look, it's obvious as you read the passage what Jesus was doing, he was challenging the scribes and the Pharisees, just as sending the leper to the priests was challenging the priests, well, I agree with you. But, you know, people can walk and chew gum at the same time. People can do more than one thing in the one act. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So if you're wondering what they mean when they speak of blasphemy, they're basically saying that you are ascribing divinity to humanity or you are ascribing humanity to divinity. They're saying that which is God's is God's alone and that you should not in any way ever call humanity divine. And they're saying that you should not, should not in any way ever call God human. So the accusation here runs two ways. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're correct. In a manner of speaking, they're correct. They're wrong and they're right. Their theological assumption is correct. Turn for a second to Psalm 32. Sorry, Psalm 51. I've got to turn us to the wrong one. Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O God, is what it's usually entitled. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. You could say David sinned against Uriah. You could say David sinned against Bathsheba. We know from the introduction to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, that this psalm was written with those sins very much in mind. But what is David saying? You only. It's God's law he had broken. God's commandments he had broken. It's God who is the judge. Uriah was a servant of God. Bathsheba was a possession of God. He took that which was not rightly his. He sinned against God, and in the end it would be God who judged him. The forgiveness, if he could have asked it of the dead man Uriah, would not have brought him salvation. The forgiveness of Bathsheba or her family would not have brought him salvation. He needs the forgiveness of God. And only God can forgive him his sins. And so they correct, who can forgive sins but God alone? But they're wrong, because in their presence is the one who is truly divine and truly human, both man and God, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. This is what they must acknowledge in order to receive salvation. Psalm 2 warns that they must kiss the son, lest he be angry and they perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. They must acknowledge who Jesus truly is, and they must acknowledge that that which Jesus is teaching is the truth. This is going to become a stumbling block to them. They will not submit to this. Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them. Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And now we stop. 
the Son of Man. Where has he lifted this title for himself, the Son of Man? He's taken it from the book of Daniel. Daniel chapters 7 and 9 in the book of Daniel, the Son of Man is the one who receives authority and a kingdom from God himself and exercises reign and rule over all of God's creation. The Son of Man in the book of Daniel is one who comes into the presence of God on the basis of his own righteousness. He has life that is recognised by God. In other words, there's much that points to the fact that the Son of Man is divine. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralysed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. Once again, this power of genuine healing, this undeniable public healing, no incantations, no waving of the hands, nothing special going on here. Jesus said, do something, and that something was miraculously done. He gave the man a command. I'm sorry, he gave the man a command, and in giving the man a command, the man was given the power to obey the command. That's how God deals with his own people, by the way. All of the earth is given the law. All of the earth is given God's law. All of the earth is given God's commandments. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. All of the earth is given commandments from God. No one has an excuse not to do what is right. But those who are the people of God are given the power to obey the commandment. And here the paralysed man is given the power to obey the commandment. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what had been li- what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they were gl- and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying we have seen extraordinary things today. Well, there's good here. We want people to be amazed by the ministry of the gospel, by the offer of the forgiveness of sins, by the declaration of who Jesus is and exactly what it is that God has done for the world through Jesus. And they were amazed to see a man healed before their very eyes. And many of them, at least, were probably familiar with who this guy was. They were amazed and they gave God the glory, filled with awe. We have seen extraordinary things today. That's great. But how did they approach the very person who was there in their presence? Peter, for example, said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter was basically aware of something. I'm in the presence of God. I'm in the boat. God's in the boat. I ought not be in the same boat as God. The leper. Now, I don't want to make too big a deal of the fact that they that they said Lord or Adonai or Kaiser. I don't want to make too big a deal of the fact that it can be just a, a word of politeness given to someone who was recognised as being senior to yourself. But the leper came to Jesus. He didn't ask, are you able to heal a leper? You know, do you have the power to cleanse me? Are you able to do this? 
Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. There's a confession there. I'm coming into the presence of the one who has power over leprosy. Remember, we read in Numbers chapter 12 that it was God who instantly gave Miriam leprosy and God who instantly took leprosy away. He's coming into the presence of Jesus, acknowledging that Jesus has this power. The paralytic comes into the presence of Jesus and he receives forgiveness of sins and then healing, which confirms that the forgiveness of sins was rightly given. The people present are amazed, they're stunned, they've never seen anything like it, they glorified God, they were filled with awe, but apparently, as we read further on in in any of the Gospels, but particularly we're studying in Luke's Gospel, they never, ever actually glorified the Son as they glorified the Father. They were never, ever willing to confess the divinity of the Son. They were never, ever willing to acknowledge that Jesus came to them from God the Father and that Jesus himself was divinity. And so it's perfectly possible for people to witness the power of God and not to be saved. It's perfectly possible for people to be filled with awe, with fear, and not to be saved, not to have their mind's eyes, as it were, opened. They see extraordinary things and yet they do not interpret them correctly because interpreting these extraordinary things correctly is totally reliant upon the work of the Spirit of God. The the ability to receive the word of God and to understand it is utterly reliant upon the work of the Spirit of God. We're no less in the presence of Jesus here and now, in all honesty. We're no less in the presence of Jesus here and now than those were. We're gathered in his name. We're studying his word. We're indwelt by the power of his Holy Spirit. The promise in the Gospel of John is that both the Father and the Son have indwelt us by the power of his Holy Spirit. We're in the presence of the Lord Jesus. If we see who Jesus truly is in these words of Scripture, it's because the Holy Spirit himself has opened our eyes. And so our salvation is always utterly and totally reliant upon God and God's grace. We've got this same gospel to preach to the world. And what what we really need is for the world to come under this conviction of sin, to come seeking cleansing. And my friends, it's not within us. Of ourselves, we have no power. Of ourselves, we have not this ability. But the promise is that as we preach the gospel, as we preach the scriptures, the Holy Spirit himself will do the work of convicting. Now, some are convicted and not converted. It's a fact. That's why people who can claim to be atheists also hate God and hate hearing the word of God and hate hearing the preaching of the gospel. They know the truth. They deny the truth and their denial hardens their heart and it pricks their anger. But this work of conviction 
hopefully leading to conversion and salvation. It's a work of God's Holy Spirit. And this gospel that we preach is able to cleanse people of their sins. It's able to make people, in a spiritual sense at least, rise up and walk, walk in the presence of God, forgiven of their sins, live in the presence of God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So we as Christians, honestly, we ought to be encouraged, no matter what is happening with regards to the world around us, no matter what is happening with regards to government, no matter what is happening with regards to the things of men. Our business is the things of God. Our business is to teach the truth, to go out into the world making disciples. And so, my friends, be encouraged. God can do these things. God has always done these things. God has always called people into his kingdom and he uses people like you and I to do it. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, help us, Father, to be bold in the preaching of the gospel. Help us, Father, to be bold in the sharing of the truth. Help us, Father, to be reaching out to the world around about us with the words of Christ. Help us, Father, to be reaching out to the world around us with the Holy Scriptures. Help us, Father, to do that which you have put us in the world to do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.